Hello, music lovers. It is the end of June 2020, and we're going to talk about our pick for this month, Joy Division's debut album, Simple Pleasures, which came out in 1979. I did not listen to even one track on this before picking it, but I was super familiar with the album cover, as I think most people are. Uh, it's iconic graphic, and I've always heard it's one of those albums that's legendary and incredible and blah, blah, blah. So figured it was time to dive in and see what it's all about. So let's see what it was all about, and let's first go to Alan. All right. Yeah, thanks a lot. I knew a little bit about Joy Division. Darren will probably get into some of the some of the facts later, but I knew about Ian Curtis and you know his health issues. I knew that these guys all kind of met at a Sex Pistols concert. I knew that they were a highly influential band, uh, and of course, I recognized the album cover from Unknown Pleasures because you see all kinds of people wearing that on a T-shirt. And I wonder if any of them have ever listened to the album, because this is kind of an interesting one. I mean, I think it's one of the only albums we've ever reviewed that didn't actually have any singles spawn off of the album. And it only went gold, apparently. So it's it's one of these like kind of weird cult hit albums, you know, in the same vein that like Stairway to Heaven was one of Led Zeppelin's biggest songs ever, despite the fact they never put it out as a single. It was actually a B-side. So kind of along the same veins, I feel like somehow this album has reached iconic status. And here is where I am conflicted with my review because I had high hopes for this thing. I know that a lot of bands that I really like and respect and enjoy cite Joy Division as highly influential. And so when, when you picked this, Scott, I was really stoked to dive in thinking that, you know, it was going to be right up my alley. And I've got to be honest, it kind of disappointed me. I've listening through this thing multiple times. It kind of almost felt like a chore, you know, because I have to do this review, but I didn't really get any enjoyment out of it. And that's, it's weird to me that that would be the case because it had all the ingredients there for things that are kind of up my alley. I like the moody rock. I like post-punk and I like the whole like goth vibe. I mean, this, this band kind of was the prototype for industrial music, which is one of my favorite genres. And I could hear all of these elements inside of the album, but you know, it just, it didn't resonate with me. And I think I owe that to maybe the fact that they wrote it in such a way that it didn't really have a lot of hooks. There wasn't anything I I particularly found all that catching, catchy, like nothing drew me back to any one particular song. Uh, in fact, I sort of felt like the songs kind of started to blend together after a little while. And I mean, it's a pretty simple recipe as far as bands go, right? I mean, it's, you got a bass, a guitar, some drums, and like a keyboard synthesizer, you know, like it's it's a pretty common recipe. They were just, you know, they were all over those minor chords and they were using disharmonic chord structures to try and like create this sense of moodiness and discord, which I think is cool, but yeah, I don't know if it did it any justice. And unfortunately, I didn't really enjoy Ian Curtis's vocals that much. 
I don't know. The whole thing just kind of sounded and felt a little more raw than I like. And we should probably speak to speak to the production a little bit. A guy named Martin Hannett produced it. And apparently he he tried to convince the band to embrace some like avant-garde methods of recording. And as far as I'm aware, even members of the band themselves are kind of torn on the final product. So I'm I'm sort of curious what the band themselves would have wanted this thing to sound like. Yeah. So I don't know. I've, I've, I've got it. I got mixed opinions, unfortunately, because on one hand I can respect the hell out of this band and this album and the legacy that it brings. But on the other hand, I personally just can't find myself getting into it. And maybe it's just something I need to, you know, listen through a few more times and, and, and try and uh, identify any tracks that particularly stood out to me and maybe I got to use my little, my little uh, <laughs> habit of enjoying a couple of grams of magic mushrooms to help elevate and enhance my music listening experience. But uh, you know, that's maybe that's what I got to do to get into this. Cause I just couldn't do it. I'm, I'm sad to say. All right. Sounds like you gave it a solid shot, though. You know, let's vary it up. Let's throw it to Darren Scott, who usually goes last. Let's throw it to Darren. Interesting album. And uh, I, I actually appreciated your uh, view on this, Alan, because I think I actually share your opinion in a lot of ways. And uh, as you know, I'm a bit older. I'm 52. And um, I really liked New Order in the time. I don't I don't remember Joy Division in the, at that time. Just was lost to me. Um, but... Uh, in uh, 80, the mid 80s, I would have been like 15 to 18, 15 to 20 there. And uh, it was really right in that time that New Order came out. So I was acquainted with them and I knew they were this band Joy Division before. Might have heard a half a tune, but didn't really know much. Later in life, a few years ago, I went back and listened. But the same thing, actually, I kind of struggled with it right away. And, and I've said this many times on this show that I actually struggle with some slower music uh, in general, depending on the artist. Although Tom Petty can play anything and he's fine. <laughs> or Johnny Cash. But anyway, uh, this album kind of almost fits in there for me as I actually struggle with. It. And I mean, maybe too, it it's freaking dark, man. It's like, uh, you know, I, there's some... I've read some quotes about desolation, emptiness, alienation. Um, you know, it's it's super dark, like uh, that Ian Curtis was. He suffered from dep depression and epilepsy and uh, struggled his whole life with uh, addiction and things like that. So, I mean, this, this guy was dark, 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 and I guess he was known to dress like he was the original goth. Like, this is where it all, that emo goth came from, pretty much. I mean, I think punk offshot him one way, and yes, they were inspired. They uh, all went and saw a 1976 show of the Sex Pistols, which is crazy to think like then they decided to form the band and, and quickly obviously ian curtis on vocals who committed suicide at age 24 uh bernard sumner on guitar peter hook on bass and then it started with terry mason on drums but uh stephen morris took over by the time they really recorded this album but uh yeah so i mean very influential band i think they were doing a lot of edgy stuff alan alluded to it that when uh, they produced it the band didn't actually really like it a lot of them like because they live i guess they were like super loud super raunchy but you couldn't hear vocals it was just like loud noise and yes a little punk and cool in a club but uh, i guess martin really wanted to bring out the, the vocals because he knew 
that Ian Curtis had this deep, dark message and he wanted to make his vocals in that darkness more prevalent but and completely toned down the guitars and bass. Like He basically created that sound. Apparently, if you had seen them live uh, before this recording, it would have sounded nothing, <laughs> nothing like this necessarily. It, it was really a produced album that obviously that they did one more after this, but then that was the end of them. Um, yeah, quickly, a few more things. I mean, they're super influential, like U2, The Cure, you think of The Cure, of course, they're influenced by uh, Interpol, Block Party, all bands that really quote uh, this band as really being one of the biggest influence for them. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> that was Ian Curtis too. He always did this crazy jerky dance, but uh, because he had epilepsy so bad, I think he based it almost on that, on his seizures. And he was known for actually collapsing on stage many times uh, due to seizures. Or they some events would have strobe lights and it would just like completely, you know, uh, pass him out right away. So he suffered from a lot of health issues and things like that. Yeah, before I go much further, you know, I think I just want to say that it's it's a good album. It's it's interesting. It's definitely probably the one of the first of its kind in the genre of like goth and emotional like that. Um, and this offshoot of call it, uh, you know, kind of post rock and early punk. Yeah, but it's it's definitely a meaty album, and you got to be kind of in a in a mood. And it, yeah, you're right. It's there's not really good hooks in in the songs. It just kind of it drones a bit, and there's now drone rock as well that probably got its roots roots in this anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll come back in scores. I'll add a few things, but why don't we throw it over to Scott Gregory? What do you think, buddy? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, when I read later that the band was torn on the production of the album, uh, I didn't feel so bad anymore that I couldn't make up my mind about it either, right? That uh, I think I've been in the camp that I wanted it to be bigger, louder, more aggressive, you know, like the replay factor just isn't in there for me with where it's at now and with just like the droning uh, bass loops and stuff like that. Like eventually that that bass first sent me and I was like, oh, this is great. This is really thrumming along, right? And then by like the eighth listen through, I was just like, oh no, I can't take another second of this thing right the album just really feels stuck between two worlds like you said they're um you know they're a show band that played very aggressively and and got people dancing and stuff like that and you know i'm i'm tolerant of differences between uh the show band and the band that goes into the studio because there's so much more available to you in the studio how could you not as a musician want to go in there play change it up a little bit and then obviously you can't recreate that always on the stage so so uh you know from there i don't know if you're a band trying to blow the door off the show venue i i really just want you to have a go at mine too right so the fact that uh they pulled it off in this subdued way that Hennig kind of did that back door on them. It, I'm, I'm kind of a little choked, right? Cause I would have loved to get more of that concert experience out of the album. Yeah. Changing things up to take advantage, you know, especially on your debut album when you're probably so eager to really try out this new world in the studio, they were just developing their, their voice. I get it, but a lot of bands still work with great producers and pull off a really solid first album. And I don't know, if this one is or not right like the the top tracks on this disorder it's literally got like uh, I, I listen on spotify it's got like 126 million <laughs> listens compared to the next closest which is like 40 so it's by far and away the most popular track on the album and it's got that really aggressive bass line and it's got the catchy guitar riffs and it, i think it probably feels closer to what you would get in the the hall than what you're getting in your chair 
right? And Shadow Play is a little bit like that too. Was one of those forty millions, and she's lost control. Yeah, it, it's probably fun to dance to. I was up and boogieing around a little bit. I got a really long cord on my headphones here, but um, but I just couldn't get into it sitting in the chair, right? A little formulaic at points. If you if you listen really close to the lyrics, I think there's a depth there that you can lose if you just kind of get washed away by the baseline. Even some of the, you know, some of the the less sonically developed. I, I'm trying to be nice because I like like this entire post-punk kind of uh, wave, like the, the synth type sound that goes on within that. So I don't know really what to, to, to say that I just don't get this album. I love early 80s synth. I spent a lot of time at the warehouse on electronic industrial night. You know, and I can see where this is in the chronology of influence. It's at the mouth of the river, but it feels undercooked in comparison to like OMD or Simple Minds. Uh, it's more Devo than Echo and the Bunnymen, right? And and so I, if that makes sense to you out there, but it, uh, you know, I enjoyed it for a stretch, but and I think it's just the fact that I was listening to it over and over again in such a concentrated amount of time that is maybe giving me a rough ride on this. I, I always watch what it plays for me after I'm hitting at the end of an album. And this one is How Soon Is Now by The Smiths, which is like five, six years later than this one, right? But you know, it didn't have the same tension between a band trying to play aggressively and the producer taking it down a notch. They knew what they were doing and they had their sound in place. And I think this is just a victim of a band having one idea and the producer having another. And there's some beautiful moments on this album, but I think if they would have been in harmony, uh, it could have been even more, which is saying something in my mind. What about you, Scott? Wow, that is a super thoughtful review, uh, way deeper than mine. I, I was just thinking I the think, same thing. Can I say something yeah, smart? Totally. No. <laughs> you sound Sorry. like the pro guy in the group here. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be one of the few ones where we're all pretty much aligned. And I went into it very excited as well. I just thought, oh, Simple Pleasures, Joy Division. Like, I'm going to love this thing. It's so famous. And I put it on, and I was instantly transported to this dark room in a shitty house apartment in downtown Calgary. I think I was in college and I ended up at a party with, I guess, kind of depressed goth types that was not my scene and I didn't know them. And I don't even really remember how I ended up there, who was there. And this might've been on, I don't know, but I was instantly transported to that moment of being in a depressive room with depressive people laying about. And I have not been able to shake that image. And I've started and stopped this album at least a half a dozen times because it just never struck my mood. Like I was working. I'm like, Oh, I can't listen to this three times out running or biking. I put it on and got halfway through a song. I'm like, I can't listen to this right now. So I just found it was really dark and, and depressing and so forth. It kind of reminded me of the cure, even early REM or even U2 kind of the bass sounds like that late seventies. And it is funny that bass plays such a big role because there's not too many albums or bands where bass riffs play such a big role. But then it made me think of the few new order singles. I know like bizarre love triangle blue Monday and bass plays quite heavily in that. So I'm like, Oh, okay. I can see now that that bass sound carrying over between those two. Essentially, it's a college band, right? Which is is what they were. It's their first album. It's not like they were hugely pro musicians. And it's, in my mind, nothing more than a college band album, which made me think, you know, iconic bands and iconic albums where 
the singer often dies before their time. Would this album be so famous had he not killed himself? Like, I'd be willing to say probably not. And I think whenever somebody dies, it elevates their status beyond what they maybe would have attained had they not. And I always think that about bands like Nirvana and some others, right? And actually, I'd love to have an episode where we pick a handful of bands that kind of fizzled before their time and talk about would they become iconic. But there's nothing here that's going to make my playlist long term. Disorder, you know, it was it was all right. Shadow Play, Interzone, those were all listenable. It it's slowly growing on me the more I listen to it. But I also feel like I don't know if this is something I need to to listen to that much. I think if you were a teenager in your early twenties around this time, Britpop, yeah, it would have resonated and it would have stood the test of time with you because that was your time period in your late teens, early twenties growing up. But again, I don't really think it's anything more than, than a college band album. And frankly, I think a better title would be like songs to slit your wrist by or something, because all I could get thinking about is suicide or being dark. I'm like, there's nothing fun or nice or uplifting about this album at all. So yeah, I don't get the hype. I, I just don't get the hype at all. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we went down the road, but but disappointed, as I think the rest of you sort of were. So why don't we get into the numbers? Alan, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, yeah, so my numbers are going to be kind of weird because, again, I personally did not love this album, but I recognize the legacy that it brings to the table. So influence, I'm giving it a four out of five because of who it influenced didn't influence me. I really have no, no reason to kind of go back and listen to this more. Um, unless I feel like slitting my wrist one day, (laughs) um, recommend, I am giving it a one because honestly, like Scott, to your point, unless you're a brooding teenager, I don't know who this album is really for. And overall, I'm going to give it a three, I think. Actually, no, no, that's too charitable. Let's give it a two and a half. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Two and a half. Uh, half. That's funny. Uh, Okay, a couple factoids before I jump into my scores. Interesting. This album was only recorded over three weekends. I don't know if anybody mentioned that, but think of that now, like an artist only doing six days. uh, Just unheard of. Um, And for the vinyl collectors like myself, and I do own this album, I kind of bought it more out of historical than necessarily loving it uh, but there's hidden grooves they were known for do- doing that so uh on the one side it says step inside in the run out groove and then on the other side it said it says this is the way can they call it there was inside and outside versus side one and side two so there you go they they like to do uh cool things with records and that would continue into new order uh anyway uh yeah alan that's true it's you know it does remind me of a band it's like and we did a review on robert johnson who was like the the founder of blues known as one of that but uh it was like the first album it's pretty like it's ancient recordings from the early 1900s and it just didn't really stand up super well and it was hard to be like oh well but then that would turn into the blues so i think there's a recognition of this might not stand up as well now or maybe just really have to be a goth or in that emotional state to really appreciate it but um yeah i think it's kind of there maybe uh, it's the spin-offs and what later became of that uh, turned out much better but influence and again i'm rating it more from uh just it, what what it was i'm going to say four because I, I, I respect that even though it didn't personally influence me as much i uh, recommend i'm only gonna i'm doing a 3.5 because it's kind of in that like yeah, you should listen to this one, but be in a bad mood and 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Be depressed, <laughs> and it'll really make you feel better because you're like, wow, that guy is sad. <laughs> uh, uh, overall, I'll come into the 3.5, and I think I'm being pretty generous there, just more of the historical historical significance more than anything. But uh, interesting album, and obviously was uh, started a lot of great things after it. All right, Scott Gregory. Yeah, don't try and write any birthday cards while listening to this album. It's not going to work out for for anyone involved. Yeah, I'm in the middle on this too, right? Like influence, I have two kind of interpretations of that. Does it influence me to go deeper into their catalog? Uh, You know, I was already a fan of New Order. Um, It doesn't take a lot to get me to go listen to some Depeche Mode or Pet Shop Boys or anything like that. So I I come in at a three on influence. It did send me down a little bit of a spiral back into that stuff, but I'm never really fully ever out of that spiral. So would I recommend? I'll put it at a 3.5. Listen to it a couple times, you know, and and pop open the, the lyrics, have a read through while you're listening and stuff like that. There is some depth to the album that, uh, you know, you can miss just in kind of like the, uh, the flatness of some of the sound in his voice and stuff like that. So check that out. And then overall... 3.5. It's got an important place in the history of music. Uh, they did some interesting stuff on it, and it really sparked some other bands after them to refine it and and go on to bigger and better albums. I think that still you can track this as the mouth of the river in that direction. So yeah, give it a couple listens, then put it away. Interesting. You mentioned Depeche Mode, and I realized that the sound of this is the same as a lot of bands that have never spoken. The E.G. The Cure. Depeche Mode and so forth. So I think a, a bit of it is I'm just not into that sound. Influence, I'll give it a two and really only because I've realized despite being a DJ and playing Bizarre Love Triangle and Blue Monday hundreds of times, I've never listened to an entire New Order album. So I'm either going to listen to Brotherhood or Power Corruption and Lies. Those songs are singles. Those, those, those are so good albums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, highly recommended. So I'll listen to one of those. I uh, recommend, I'm just going to give it a two, I guess, because it's that iconic album, but I don't think it's particularly good. And overall, I'm just giving it a 1.5 because I just didn't enjoy it. I'm not going back to it. There's no singles in there. And like you said, terrible album to write birthday cards to. So look, I think this is a weird one in that it is such an iconic album, but none of us were particularly wowed or blown away. And again, I really like to pitch out the idea of a show where we pick a handful of bands that came to an end behind before their time because someone died. And would those bands have really been iconic had the singer or the band stayed together? So hope everyone out there enjoyed this, uh, our little Joy Division investigation and journey. We'll be back with a pick next month for July. Who is it? I can never remember who the next pick after me. It's Alan. me. Okay, Alan, looking forward to your pick. Until next time, thanks for listening, and check out what Alan's pick for July is. 